0: Have you been affected by the suicide death of a beloved friend or family member? If so, you're probably facing many unanswered questions. We hope to discuss some of them today. This is what my son's death by suicide taught me about life with your host, Marshall Adler. Marshall lost his own son, Matt, at the age of 32 and has since dedicated his life to talking to people who have also been affected by suicide. Now, here is Marshall Adler.
1: I want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode, and I want to tell you we got a very, very, very special guest today for part two of our interview with uh, my wife, my love of my life, and the mother of our son, Matt, and our son, David, Debbie Adler. Uh, We talked to Debbie previously, and we want to continue our conversation concerning the journey that we are on together and the journeys we are on separately concerning the loss of our son, Matt. So first, I'd like to introduce, again, the love of my life, Debbie, to say hello to the audience.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be back.
1: Okay. Thank you, Debbie. And what uh, we'd like to talk about today is sort of a continuation of what we talked during the first part of our episode that obviously is just a small part of our journey together. And Debbie, you're always very prepared and very organized. And I know you and I have spent obviously hours and hours and hours talking about the journey we are on together and separately concerning the loss of Matt. And you actually spend a lot of time and a lot of thought coming up with 10 tips for surviving the loss of a loved one. To suicide. And I really think these are fantastic guides that not only help you, but will help other people. So, without any further ado, I want to turn over the platform to Debbie to give her words of wisdom as to how to survive the loss of a loved one to suicide.
2: Uh, Thank you, Marshall. Um, I think writing the 10 tips helps to condense a lot of the things that we've been saying. So number one, pray. Whatever your religious faith may be, you will need it to get through this difficult time. As a Christian, I always pray for strength to endure. My pain is the love I have for my son. I don't pray to ease my pain, but for God's strength to endure and carry me through The darkest days. So a lot of people want to be away from their grief. And I think it's important that your grief is now a part of you. Um, Number two, I'm trying to be a little lighthearted on a very serious subject. So number two is ice cream. We had a lot of families stay with us for the first two weeks. Most nights, we all had ice cream and watched a movie. It was hard for us to pick one movie, but we tried to pick some of Matt's favorites to, just to be close to him. Try to pick funny, crazy, or outrageous films just to get out of your own head. One of our favorites, especially for the holidays, is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It still makes us laugh today, and we can still hear our son laughing on that um, film. Number three, getting out of your own head. Our son loved movies, as I said above. My way of coping was binge-watching anything, especially with no commercials. Commercials can be a trigger, so watch out, especially during the holidays because there is all these commercials with families, loved ones, sitting around the table, um, you know, Christmas trees with everyone around, and you don't have – there's one – important person missing from all of this and sometimes it can just be a little too much Um, so just be careful on that that's why I love Netflix and Amazon Prime no commercials and I can just watch them um, at my leisure number four be good to yourself Um, going back to ice cream again ice cream, or if you like cakes. Now, my personal favorite was a Texas sheet cake. It's sort of a southern thing, but believe me, you can look it up on Pinterest and find the recipe, it's delicious. Seriously, whatever you can relieve a small part of your pain, do it. If you are not hurting yourself or anyone else, it is fair game. You are allowed. Go for it. Number five, family and friends. You will find that the people that you thought would be there for you are not. And other people you have not expected are. This will come as a great surprise to you. It is okay. Not everyone can handle grief or pain. You will gravitate towards the people who can and that will be able to help you. Like I said before, number six is triggers. They are everywhere. Try to avoid them if possible. It can send you into a tailspin, especially when you're early on in your grief process. Um, one of the things like movies with suicide, maybe not a great thing to watch at. Uh, this time. Um, But like I said, triggers are everywhere. It could be a song, it could be a movie, um, walking down a grocery aisle, almost anything um, can trigger you. But um, if you know something specifically that will trigger it, try to avoid it. Number seven, waves of grief. As you heal, they will become less often but will hit you with the same intensity as day one of your loss. A friend of ours who has more years under his belt told us that the sharpness of the pain will lessen. At 16 months out, we have not experienced this yet. I am hoping and praying for this. Number eight. There are no rules. Everyone's journey is different, and the speed at which you heal is different. Grief is a process, not a destination or a place to stay. If you're getting stuck in your progress, seek a grief counselor or a support group might help which both of those things, uh, Marshall and I did, and we found that both of them were very helpful. Number nine, very important, how much you grieve is proportionate to how much you love the person. So a grief is now a part of you and your life, and it just proves how much you love that person. So, which goes into number 10. You will never get over your loved one's loss. I think that is something you need to accept. And it will always be with you. What I think, how I view it, is to make friends with it. Don't fight it say i know you will always be with me but together my son's my son and me we are going to move forward and actually if you think of your grief your grief is actually a gift you love someone so much it follows you to love and be loved is a gift that many people in the world will never have. Our son, Matt, he was a gift from God. Marshall, do you have any thoughts on those 10 steps?
1: Debbie, those are great words of wisdom. And I can tell you that, uh, I'll tell the audience that you've absolutely not only talked the talk, you've walked the walk because you have lived your life based on those tips, which are obviously great for any person that is dealing with grief to try to follow. And I think some interesting points that you brought up is the one that I remember a few weeks ago, we were watching TV and on the CBS Morning News show, which we love watching every Sunday morning, they had a segment on grief and they had people talking about grief. And one of the things they said is that so many people have what's called death anxiety, that people that you think would be more supportive, more involved, more proactive, just cannot do it. And I think as part of the grief process, you really just have to accept that and realize that is something that you cannot control and you cannot view that as an impediment to your grief process. It's just something, you know, some people are born with blue eyes, some people are born with brown eyes. And a large portion of the population, based on what this CBS News segment stated, does have death anxiety. And hearing somebody on a national news show talk about that was actually sort of um, reaffirming of what we've talked about before, because again, you you just realize that on this planet, we're all going to grieve either you're going to die and people are going to grieve you or you're going to live and people you love are going to die and you're going to grieve them. So whether you have death anxiety or not, you better learn how to deal with grief because it's coming. And it's in some ways, if somebody has death anxiety you almost feel you actually have to reach out and help them because they're if they're not up next, they're in the batter's box. And that's just the reality of life. So I know we've, we've talked about that. So I think that's one very good point. The second point I think you mentioned is the waves of grief. And I, I think I've said this before on prior episodes that, to me, the best way to describe it is over time, we are 16 months out now from Matt's passing, is that the frequency of the waves of grief definitely decreases. There's no two ways about over 16 months. We do have less frequent waves of grief, but when you get hit with a wave of grief, the wave height never changes. And I think that's something that, Anybody who has
2: had a significant loss
1: realize right, it's never going to change. It's just it could be 50 years after the fact and you get hit with that wave of grief. It seems like it didn't happen 50 years ago. It happened 50 seconds ago. And I think that is a reality that the longer you go out from the passing of your loved one, the more you accept it, that you're not shocked, saying, oh, why am I still feeling this? And I will tell you that I know I've talked to somebody along our journey who told me that when they lost their son, they had a relative ask them about six months afterwards, well, are you over it yet? And they looked at this relative like, are you completely insane? Six months and will it be over it? The answer is no. And when will it be over it? The answer is never. And it's interesting because that is one of the points they made on the CBS Morning News show where they had a expert on death and dying and grieving. And they specifically asked this expert, when do people get over the loss of a loved one? When does grief end? And the answer, as we knew, it was going to be was never, 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 and I think the sooner that you can acknowledge that
2: and accept it,
1: and accept it, is a huge cornerstone on the road to to recovery, to lead the most productive, happiest, most functioning life you you can, which is what your loved one who's not here. Would want you to do anyways. You know, they, if Matt was here, we we know Matt, Matt would tell us enough of the grief already. I'm (laughs) I'm good. Move forward. We know he he would say that. And there's probably words of wisdom, but we're never going to stop grieving, but we have to keep on living. And Matt would not want us to grieve and not live. You don't want to be the Walking Dead, which yes. I, we've heard that comment that some people say they're here on this earth, but they're not living life. Matt would not want that. We don't want that. None of our loved ones want that. And I think that's why your words of wisdom for the 10 tips for surviving the loss of a loved one have really resonated with so many people, but also they resonated with us because they, they've helped. And I think it's yes, really been...
2: And, you know, we want our audience to, to um, we're grieving uh, with you.
1: Absolutely. We're, we're all in the same boat. Yes. That's it, just it's the way it is. And uh, I would just like to say this, like we're talking, obviously it's November 2019. This is a podcast, so somebody might be listening to this podcast a 100 years from now. Hopefully they will. Hopefully they're getting help from it. But we're here in November of the year 2019, right, with the beginning of the holiday seasons. And uh, we have to take a short break now. And I want to come back after our break and talk about how this will be our second
3: holiday season. Right. Our
1: second holiday season. Because Matt's passing was 16 months ago. We've, We've gone through the cycle of every holiday and how... People deal with and survive the holidays with grieving the loss of a loved one. So we need to take a very short break. And again, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And I'll be right back. And I want to continue this uh, very important discussion on this topic with Debbie because we are right in the middle of the holiday season. And we'll be right back at these short messages. Again, thank you so much. I'll be right back to talking to you. Thank you. It's your world. Motivate. Change.
3: Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Tune in for 5 Blossom Radio. Each week, host Denise Richard will discuss common interests in the fields of art, health, and spirituality. The series is arranged into three parts, focusing on Five Blossom gatherings, the Four Voices program, and Fires of Compassion. Every program is available on demand, so if you miss any part of the series live, be sure to catch up. Five Blossom Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
0: What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at
1: 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's quite common for people to wonder whether happiness is real or just an illusion. Yet we all have an inner voice that is telling us that we need to change. Where to begin? Start by taking time out of your schedule every week for Revelations and Wonders, Secrets to Life and Happiness, with host Fabian Edju. There is a true beauty within your soul, and happiness flows from inside. We'll help you find that new confidence within. Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment.
0: You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to marshallontheradio at gmail.com. That's marshallontheradio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's
1: program. We're back. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And I want to talk to Debbie about two very important issues that we talk about all the time. Before the break, I talked about the fact that we're in the holiday season. And before we specifically get into that issue, Debbie and I have had very, very, very um, deep experiences with what we believe is afterlife contact with our son, Matt. Prior to Matt's passing, I never truly believed in afterlife, but since his passing, we've had so many uncontrovertible and inexplicable experiences with what I believe is Matt contacting us that I do not believe in afterlife. And Debbie's view of afterlife Prior to Matt's passing, was different than mine, so I just want to turn the platform over to Debbie to touch on the experience of afterlife that we've both had since Matt's passing.
2: Yes, we've had several things that have happened, but um, now we leave um, Matt's bedroom door open um, in our house. Um, he hasn't lived with us; uh, it's been like eleven years, you know. Cause he, because he's 32 years old at the time or whatever. But we remember um, the movie Ghost. And uh, Patrick Swayze, when he first passed, he had a hard time going through walls or going through doors. And for some reason, the movie Ghost, Marshall mentioned it in his eulogy also or whatever, we leave the door open. So it just makes it a little bit easier for Matt if he is back there to uh, come out and see us. Um, we always hear uh, Matt's bedroom when he was a little boy in the back of our house. Um, we always hear strange sounds from the back, and now I've just grown to accept it. And I yell, hi, Matt, glad you're here. Um, but we also blame Matt for anything that goes wrong in our house. Um, this is sort of uh, very funny to us. Um, because our lights, I know Marshall will expound on this a little bit, about how they flash, they do all this crazy stuff, but we do blame it on Matt for all of that. Now, we do have a picture of Matt um, in the hallway that goes out to our garage. And every day, I go to his picture, and I put my forehead to his picture, and I say, I love you. I miss you, and I'm glad you're no longer in pain. And the last part of that is part that has gotten me through that we think we know that our son Matt was in a lot of emotional pain, even though we did not know that at the time. So as his mother, it brings me some solace to know that where he is, he is no longer in pain. Marcia, do you want to talk about some of the other things that have happened to us?
1: Yes, it's it's interesting. Let me specifically talk about um, the radio show in in two different ways in the sense that when the first episode aired, I think I mentioned this before that I've had – Matt come to my dreams and communicate with me just like we're talking. And after the first episode aired, Matt and I had this conversation about the show and Matt thought the show was really good, but in typical Matt fashion, he said, you're talking about me too much. Matt never liked when we bragged on him. He was very humble. He didn't want any attention. And I said, Matt, Matt, the show is about you and your passing. How am I not going to talk about you? And we both started laughing about it. He goes, yeah, maybe you're right. I said, but I will be talking to other people and other people's journeys and other people's stories. He goes, well, I guess that's okay then. And we were laughing about this. And I've had, obviously, I've been dreaming my entire life. But these dreams with Matt are just different. They're so explicit. They're so real
2: and vivid and vivid Vivid, that they're like
1: no dreams I've ever had any other time in my life. And that's why I think that as I as you know I'm a lawyer and I view my cases based on the evidence that's presented. And that sort of is the way I lead my life. I look at the evidence as it exists. And the evidence as it exists for me in so many different ways is absolutely conclusive that Matt is communicating with us whether you want to call it afterlife or heaven or whatever you want to call it I believe it now and the the one other story I want to talk about
2: yes this was a clincher for you right right, Marshall that really made you believe
1: yes uh for those people that do not live in the Orlando Florida area which we are uh recording these shows from and where we raised our children um a few weeks ago, the Orlando Sentinel was very kind. They did a very great story about this podcast and the articles written by a excellent writer who's actually on the editorial board or the Orlando Sentinel. And he did such a good job describing our journey, describing the, uh,
2: Our podcast. Our podcast
1: that was actually put on the editorial page of the Sunday Orlando Sentinel right below the editorial board's editorial of the day. And I'm an old newspaper guy that loves reading newspapers. Obviously, with today's digital age, a lot of people don't read newspapers. They get their news online. But I know historically, the most prime real estate in a newspaper is the editorial page on Sunday right below the editorial board's editorial of the day and that's where this article was placed so it could not have had a bigger impact and the article was obviously just not on the print edition but it was also online edition so i had many 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 people reach out to me saying they saw the article the article moved them they really thought it was a fantastic uh way to promote this podcast and try to help other people so it was really a wonderful thing that the Orlando Sentinel did to uh get the podcast out to as many people as possible.
2: And, and our viewers could go to the Orlando Sentinel yes. and type in your name.
1: It'll pop up. And
2: it should pop up the right. article.
1: Right, right. Very It was a great article. We cannot thank the Orlando Sentinel enough. The reason I'm telling the story is that the day the article appeared in the Orlando Sentinel, I was up eating breakfast. So I usually do because we we do have a – big dog, 70-pound dog, Lola, who's a big dog with a small bladder, so I have to take her for walks every morning, 6 o'clock in the morning, so I get up early. And when you got up, you told me to come back to the bedroom where your lamp, which is on the light stand next to your bed, was doing something I needed to see.
2: Yes, it was flickering. Right. But in an odd manner. In an
1: odd manner. Again, this light has never done that before, and this was the morning of the article with the Sentinel. So we're always looking for different signs, and we went back there.
2: And I and said, Marshall, you gotta come see this. He said, what are you talking about? I go, no, I can't explain it, you have to come see it.
1: Right, and what happened is the lamp, I wanted to make sure there was not a loose electrical wire it was not a loose bulb. So the lamp's been working no problem prior to this time. And I checked the wires, totally secure. And I checked the light bulb, oh. totally secure. So I wasn't sure what Debbie was talking about. And she goes, wait. So the light was on. And then I saw it started flipping a little bit. And then I go, okay. I started talking to the lamp.
2: Yes.
1: And I asked Matt, is that you? And the lamp which was on with the light illuminating, then actually started flickering in a responsive manner that almost looked like Morse code. Yes. I didn't know Morse code. No. But it looked like we were getting a responsive message from the lamp. And you and I looked at each other. And we For a second, we thought, have we totally lost Lost our our minds? minds. Yes. Is this completely insane or is this really happening? If we had our wits about us, we should have pulled out our cell phones and recorded this, which we didn't.
2: Yes. But I will swear. We were so amazed. We just couldn't believe it. I will
1: swear in a stack of Bibles that this happened. So after the first response, the lamp just went back to shining like it usually does. I said, okay, that's one. Let me ask another question. So I asked Matt if he's okay. And we got a response with the Morse code
2: flickering, flickering
1: light. light from the lamps. Matt always called my parents, his grandparents, Pop and Mamie. So, and I specifically asked Matt through the lamp, <laughs> are you with Pop and Mamie? and our jaw dropped when we got a response to it with the flickering Morse code again. And then uh, the listeners of this podcast know that my lifelong friend, Ted Brenner, passed away a few weeks after my mother and Matt passed away. And I put his prayer note in the Western Wall on our trip to Jerusalem, Israel. So I asked Matt through the lamp, are you with Ted, Ted Brenner? And again, we got a response. Yes. With the Morse code through the lamp.
2: And the, in between these, the lamp is totally on. Totally fine. It's totally not fine until we ask a question.
1: Right. And this, does
2: it start to flicker?
1: And this is not the clapper lamp where you, no. where you clap and it goes on and off like you see on TV. It's not one of those lamps. So then I asked if everybody was fine. And we got a response that, yes. We were interpreting, everybody was fine. Yeah, that's
2: how we interpreted it.
1: And we were looking at this and saying, if somebody told us this, we would assume that the grief just overwhelmed their senses and they were not being rational. rational. Yes. And
2: until it happens to you.
1: You can't believe it.
2: You just can't believe it.
1: You can't yeah, no. believe it. So it's just something that I think we... We're looking for things after Matt's passing, not knowing what we find, but the evidence that we've had, again, I won't go too much more into it because we've had so many different, inexplicable occurrences that have convinced me with no doubt at all that there is an afterlife and that Matt is communicating with us and it gives us solace.
2: No, it really does, and um, I I love the visits uh, from my son, and I always say hi to him and uh, glad you came for a visit. And so, like I said, it does give me solace, a little bit of relief from my pain to know that he's just on the other side.
1: Which I think is helpful for the – we talked about the holidays. Yes. And the fact that the holidays are here – and he's not physically here, makes us content that we know he's spiritually here. Yes. And I think that's a big thing that people, if you are open to it and look for it, you may have a similar experience as we've had.
2: Yes. And I think it will, during the holidays, you know, which are, you know, very difficult we found this, like I said, you said before, it's our second uh, second for everything or whatever, is maybe, what do you think, just a little bit easier. Um, eas- easier is sort of not the correct word to use, but I think knowing that he is still with us. He is not gone, gone. He is just on the other side, and he is still with us.
1: Yes, and I think that is what you have to be cognizant of and you have to be open, open to it, right? And understand that it's just, as I said before, the line, the demarcation mm-hmm. line between life and death for me after Matt's passing has gotten very fuzzy. It was never anything that I thought I would experience, but I have. And you talked about uh, bracing embracing yes. the uh, Your grief. grief. And sometimes you just have to embrace things that you never thought you would. Like to me, afterlife is never anything I thought about, but I will tell you now that I embrace it and I actually look forward to Matt's visits. And we... Yeah, me too. Yeah, and we really sort of enjoy them because Matt was always a funny guy and I think his visits are funny too. So uh, I, unfortunately, we have to take a quick break now. And I actually want to come back on the other side of the break and tell you some interesting news that we just recently heard actually from the, uh, CBS news show 60 minutes. And I think it for us was something that could be groundbreaking and significant. And I think it's something that, um, You, as listeners, will want to learn about and want to hopefully explore on any journey that you're on. So, uh, we'll be right back after this short break. And again, thank you so much for listening.
2: Tune in to lead up for women speak up to lead up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond your host Colleen Biggs speaks with guests who have stories to share have faced adversity and have become success stories in business in their communities and in personal accomplishments join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best lead up for women is heard live every wednesday at 1 p.m eastern time 10 a.m pacific time on voice america empowerment
3: life-changing events can have positive and or negative repercussions when they happen they can feel elating or devastating to those affected it can also get in the way of your personal and professional life on Life Altering Events with host Frank Zakari, we examine the scope of these events and discuss how to move forward in the wake of the opportunities presented. It's never too late to get started or pick up the pieces and move forward. Listen Tuesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
2: Are you looking for a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Do you want your business to thrive? Do you want to enjoy better relationships and find your purpose? Tune in every week to stepping into the Tenda Cheng Life Transformation with Dr. and Master Shah with host Diana Gold Holland, who will share the wisdom of Master Shaw. You'll hear from inspiring teachers and listen to testimonials about life transformation. Stepping into the Tenda Chung can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. in the West and 6 p.m. in the East on Voice America Empowerment.
3: Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world.
0: You are tuned into What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. If you'd like to send Marshall Adler a question or comment that can be addressed privately or on a future program, please send an email to MarshallOnTheRadio at gmail.com that's Marshall on the radio at gmail.com now back to this week's program
1: thank you so much for listening and I want to uh, tell you some interesting news that we just recently were experienced we, we, we just got a um, bunch of information from the CBS news show 60 Minutes. and what The show dealt with was 60 Minutes 10 years ago had gone to Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, where they were doing research concerning MRI brain scans to determine if the brain scans could effectively identify changes in people's thoughts and their emotions and the way they were thinking and they came back 10 years later to see where the research had gone and they got some amazing results because they were able to show specifically based on the objective medical evidence of reading these mri brain scans that they could see when people were thinking different things If people were happy, if people were sad, if people were perplexed, if people were concerned, there was different anatomical changes that they could see on these MRI brain scans to identify that. And I was watching this show and I'm going, like obviously dealing with the issues we deal with in this show and the passing of Matt, I was wondering if they were gonna touch on the issue of suicide. And they did a fantastic job relating this technology to the potential of identifying suicidal ideology and perhaps treating it, obviously, in the future based on the technology that will hopefully continue to develop. And what they did, they had a medical doctor, psychiatrist from the University of Pittsburgh, and they had, I believe, the uh, head of the Psychology department at Harvard University in Boston talking about this technology. And it was so interesting because they were able to show that they believe this technology could, in fact, identify people that were experiencing suicidal ideation which obviously would be unbelievably helpful for treatment because as we know personally, there was nobody that we were more in contact with on a daily basis and nobody who was more transparent with his life than our son, Matt. And we did not know that, that he had suicidal ideation.
2: Yeah, it's like the iceberg theory
1: again. Exactly. As I said before, it's like the iceberg that sank the Titanic. The Titanic saw the 10% of the iceberg above the waterline, and that was not the part of the iceberg that destroyed the Titanic. It was the 90% below the waterline that they couldn't see that sank the Titanic. And with people... The 10% above the waterline that looks fantastic, that looks great, is generally not the dangerous part of their life. It's the 90% below the waterline that nobody in the world sees that can be deadly.
2: And don't you think, like everyone really sees only a person's 10%?
1: Yes, that's exactly what happens. What they do is they only want you to see what they want you to to see. see. Yes. And they're not going to show you the part that could potentially take their lives. That's why this technology could be so game-changing if, in fact, this technology would be able to get to a point where they could diagnose who in fact is having suicidal ideation. The professor from Harvard made made something really interesting because obviously MRIs are huge machines, only uh, hospital-based facilities or some big medical facilities have them. So the technology would have to get to a point where, where it's
2: more feasible.
1: Right. It's more feasible and smaller. smaller. And he made an interesting point. He said, You know, we all have GPS technology in our cell phones now, and the cell phones are very tiny. When GPS technology first started, they were in these massive computers. They would take up rooms and rooms in computer science labs with the same technology that we now have in our cell phones. So hopefully, over time, this could be something that potentially could be very helpful with diagnosing who is, in fact, experiencing suicidal ideation. Then the question would be, what type of treatment is going to be done from there? Because if you identify it and don't treat it, that's the problem. And as we know, we've talked to so many people who've lost loved ones who have been under medical treatment, Absolutely. Who, who have had therapy, who have had medication, who have had hospitalizations, and they still end up taking their lives.
3: Yes.
1: So obviously, medical science and medical technology at this point does not have a foolproof system to diagnose who is experiencing suicidal ideation. And there certainly is not a foolproof effective treatment, even if they're able to identify people who have suicidal ideation, because the objective facts show that the suicide rate is skyrocketing and it's an epidemic. So we are looking at this. We want to talk about this on this show today because, again, we have no idea who's potentially going to be listening to this show. There could be a medical researcher in New Zealand who could be listening to this show and saying, yes, I can tell you, I can take this technology and make it more uh, user-friendly and make it more uh, adaptable for all medical providers or hospitals or police or first responders to have this on their persons where they can maybe do a quick brain scan and see if somebody has suicidal ideation. It sounds like something else uh, from the Jetsons, right. but, but it might happen. Right. Who knows?
2: And, Marsha, I think you made a point a long time ago that you believe suicide is a brain disease. And this MRI is showing that is exactly what it is. Yes. Do you agree? Yeah, that's yes.
1: an excellent point. Like, I have talked for months now that I believe that suicide should be talked about differently because I know there's been a conversation about whether somebody should be saying committed suicide or death by suicide. I've sort of evolved to the point that I believe it should be death by brain disease, that your loved one died from a brain disease, because I know people have told me they didn't like the comment, the,
2: the name of the show r- they right. didn't like that yeah, well,
1: that said suicide, death by suicide. But if I said death by brain disease in the show, people wouldn't know what that was specifically. They didn't know could that be a l s could that be m s. could that be Alzheimer's? could that be a glioblastoma brain tumor? And I am now of the mindset. That the brain disease that causes someone to take their life is no different than a glioblastoma cancerous brain tumor, is no different from ALS, which killed Lou Gehrig, is no different from multiple sclerosis that takes so many different people, is no different than Alzheimer's, which takes so many different people's lives, because the MRI that the 60-minute segment was showing proved that there was an anatomical different brain scan in those individuals that had suicidal ideation versus those who did not.
2: Yes, yeah, different parts of the brain would light up. Right. And um, in the study, in the suicidal ideation patients, those did not show up. right? And so um, if you can catch that episode, I think it gives hope to a lot of people, especially people that are grieving.
1: Yes. And I think the thing that's interesting is an MRI will also be able to identify a glioblastoma cancerous brain tumor saying there it is. And how do we deal with it? And unfortunately, A glioblastoma, cancerous brain tumor, the the prognosis is not good because medical science has not been able to find a cure for that. Just as the way medical science has not had a cure for Alzheimer's, just as the way medical science does not have a cure for ALS, just the same way they don't have a cure for MS. And I know with football players, they have that brain disease called CTE T. right yes. uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy which apparently they cannot diagnose until after somebody's death and they do it in a in a autopsy which is almost analogous to what i think we're dealing with suicide because the doctor that was speaking on the 60 minutes from um, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, the psychiatrist, said suicide is so difficult to diagnose and treat because the only one that truly knows what happened and why is no longer here.
2: Right.
1: And he basically said, we're all guessing. And that is why this MRI, if you can show definitively, this is the brain disease that this person has, like a cancerous brain tumor, like ALS, like Alzheimer's, like MS, then you could say, okay, that part of the guessing process is taken care of. We're not guessing. This, pe- this person has suicidal ideation. Now the question is, how do we right. deal with it, and how do we prevent them from taking their lives? That's the second part, but at least this is the first part. You know, I think it was Confucius says, a thousand-mile trip begins with the first step. And this might be the first step to actually getting a effective medical treatment. And this was one of the reasons we wanted to do this show because we knew that we did everything possible for Matt to provide him the best medical medical care possible. Yes. And Matt reached the point where he felt that it was not helping. He didn't like the medication. He knew what the therapist was going to ask before they even asked it.
2: Right. And then he knew the right
1: answer. He knew the right answer. Yes. And he felt felt that it wasn't effective for him. And when he decided to discontinue his medication, the last three years of his life, we were against it. Well, we were wrong. And he He was was right. right. The last three years of his life were the best years of his life. And he went out on the top of his game. And we've had so many people who've, Loved ones did not get off medication yeah. and ended up taking their lives anyways. And they said to us afterwards, they wish that their loved ones had a better end of life than they did because we knew that Matt had the best three years of his life that we never expected. We were so against him getting off the medication. Yeah, we were but very he,
2: worried. But yeah. he was
1: adamant about it. Very adamant. And he had the ability to make his own decisions, and he made his own decisions. And he just felt that he functioned at a much higher level and was much happier. So, again, these are all things that we are encouraged about. And hopefully, as time goes by, we'll be getting more technological advances. So, for our audience, if there's anybody that is doing medical research or interested in trying to identify and treat suicidal ideation, please look at this as a possible avenue to, avenue to explore.
2: You know, Marshall, they're spending so much money, I know there was a chart, on cancer, on um, a lot of different diseases, and suicide, depression, was at the bottom of the list. So, we are not spending enough money on research. Even though this is an epidemic, everybody in the medical field and the research facilities should be, this should be like a number one priority, but it is not. And maybe with this MRI showing that specifically, that it is a brain disease, that maybe we can get some more funding for this.
1: Hopefully, that is what will happen. And again, one of the reasons we wanted to do this show was to try to encourage and explore alternative medical treatments for the, the identification and treatment of suicide to try to help end this epidemic. Well, on that note, hopefully a hopeful note, We have to end this episode, and I want to thank Debbie for being my wife, uh, my best friend, and a wonderful mother to our two sons and for being my guest today. And I want to close by thanking everybody for listening, and I want to uh, also tell the audience that if you or someone you know or love is struggling, please contact a medical, mental health expert, as soon as possible, call 911 if warranted, or call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank thank you. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you for tuning in to
0: What My Son's Death by Suicide Taught Me About Life. We hope we've given you some insight concerning the issues of surviving and thriving after the suicide death of a loved one during our program today. Please join your host, Marshall Adler, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a good week.